and welcome to another episode of Unsubscribe, the Demand Drive podcast. I'm your host, AJ Alonzo, and today I'm joined by a co-host, as always, Alex Ellison, sitting in. This is the day he cracks. I feel it. I can well, feel no, it in my the, bones. The problem is you missed last week when I did have COVID, but we didn't record anything. <laughs> it's fair. <laughs> we, we retroactively cracked you through, through the power of, of future podcasting. Mm-hmm, sure. Yeah. Whatever <laughs> yeah. you need to tell yourself. <laughs> whatever we need to tell ourselves. How are you feeling? Are you feeling good? I'm good. I'm all better now. The The last little like sniffly symptoms went away a couple of days ago. So yeah, I'm good to go. Sounds fantastic. And we've got a great guest with us today, Quinn Underwood. He's the uh, CEO and co-founder over at Autumn. Quinn, I'll let you um, introduce yourself a little bit. I think based on how you introduce yourself, the audience is going to get an idea of what the uh, sort of topic for the episode is. So go ahead and let people know who you are, what you do, what Autumn does, you know, give them the, the Quinn Underwood 101. <laughs> cool. Sounds good. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm one of the co-founders, uh, CEO of Autumn. Uh, and so we, we've been building this as a startup now for the last couple of years and really we do one thing. So we built a system to help companies measure and act proactively to prevent burnout. Uh, for their employees. Uh, and essentially, we, we came out of research at a number of labs, so Stanford, Cambridge, University of Toronto, uh, that helps us measure and predict burnout without the need for surveys. So it's all passive, it's based on analysis of language. Um, and yeah, so we, we, we built this and, and you know, the, the joy of what I do is I get to work with a bunch of experts. We have like a clinical psychologist on staff um, who is an expert in all things burnout. So, so this is a topic that I love talking about, think a lot about, and yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to dig in because I think it's, um, it's weird to think that like burnout is kind of finally becoming a thing that people are really starting to talk about. There's a lot of rhetoric and discourse around like, oh, this is like, this is important, right? I think you, like you said, you've been doing this for a few years now. You've known that this is a problem and has been a problem for some time. And I think um, there's a subset of the population that does recognize that like, yeah, this is like a real thing that you have to consider. It's not something you can kind of just slap a Band-Aid on and be like, all right, like, you know, we, we fixed our employees. They're not going to burn out anymore. We're good. Um, so let's let's dig into like the the problem here. Like why, why are we talking about this? What impact does burnout really have on individual contributors within an organization and then kind of trickle up to the company level that maybe mm. – if someone who isn't well-versed or, or researched on the idea might not consider when you immediately, when they immediately think like, oh, burnout. Yeah, 100%. So, so I, I just actually read a, an interesting statistic the other day, which was that um, April this last month, 2022, uh, searches in Google for burnout hit an all-time high. So it's, it's literally oh. never been higher, even relative to the beginning of you know, the global pandemic and everyone working from home for the first time. So it's wild. Yeah. So, and it's interesting because like, like you mentioned, I mean, we actually started on this kind of research project that then became the company we're building before the pandemic and just watching the kind of conversation evolve and the awareness spread through, I think, going from this like conceptual thing that people had heard about to an experience that most people now have some familiarity with or, you know, a distance of one um, from. So yeah, I mean, that's all been really interesting. I think it's incredibly helpful. The, the, I mean, one of the inspirations for us uh, early on was the realization that part of why it maybe hasn't for a long time been a major conversation was 
precisely because it's so difficult to manage or measure. And because it's so difficult to measure and actually really put your finger on, it's difficult for people to actually get practical about. And so I think, you know, like you mentioned, like, you know, everyone's searching burnout. And I think part of it is like, what is burnout? How do you identify burnout? Am I burnt out? Um, it's this kind of like catch all that has, you know, in, now includes a lot of different things, but fortunately, there's actually pretty clear research on what burnout is and how it can be measured. Um, and so, I mean, for us, we use that in the context of our tool, but also it's really helpful, I think, for people in conceptualizing or understanding where they're at and ultimately understanding the impacts that it can have for themselves and their companies. Um, so the the short and dirty is the, um, in research, there's a model called Maslach's burnout inventory and it's peer reviewed. It's incredibly well researched cross-culturally. And essentially it it's identified that burnout is not just, you know, exhaustion, right? Like you can have incredible athletes exhausted after a match. They're not burnt out. There's, there's a pretty significant difference between just like that exhaustion and, and burnout. Um, and so um, Maslach's research really essentially is defined burnout as three things. It's exhaustion, cynicism, and a lack of professional efficacy, which is a little bit jargony for just, do you feel you're well-supported and able to do your job well? Mm. And cynicism is like, do you feel you're contributing to something meaningful? Do you feel like you have a meaningful impact and the work you're doing matters to you? Um, and so, yeah, I, like, it's, it's incredible because you can actually measure burnout. You can measure where you're at across those three measures. And burnout isn't just exhaustion. It's actually when you get exhaustion and cynicism concurrently. And then that drives all sorts of downstream effects. Largely, people start to feel ineffective. Mm -hmm. And that has all these you know, effects in the context of the workplace. Um, so... <laughs> Yeah, I could yeah. go on about this for days. Yeah, it's, it's, I feel like that's so, when you put it in the way that you did and you lay it out in the way that you did, I, I think you're right. People look at burnout and they're like, oh, it's just fatigue, right? Like you feel mm -hmm. like you can fix that in some capacity right. by taking time off. But like in reality, the in the grand scope of things in terms of how it impacts not just the individual, but like the company overall, if someone mm -hmm. is fully burnt out and their efficacy is down and they feel cynical about the role, the phrase that I immediately jumped to is like one bad apple ruins the bunch, right? Like their inefficacy mm. and then their cynicism is going to spread to other members of that team and ultimately kind of trickle through the organization. So it's not mm. like you're just tired. Like that person could, without right. really knowing it, like actively be internally almost sabotaging the overall morale of the team. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so, I mean, there, there's some incredible research on, on just like how significant that effect is too. So one, like, once you reach an actual, you know, like clinical threshold of burnout, it takes like at minimum 11 weeks, at minimum 11 weeks to recover from that. Um, and during that time, you're 2.6 times, like 260% more likely to leave your job. You are 50% less likely to bring up or discuss performance with a leader or a member of your team. And so like all of the things that we think about is just being critical to, you know, being a good team member and, and being functional and, and contributing meaningfully, like so many of those things stop happening. And I think what's, what's most heartening though, is that there's also a ton of research that shows that burnout in almost all cases is entirely preventable. 
and that the person who has the most power to prevent it is actually a team lead. Um, and, and there's this awesome research. I mean, for us, this was part of why we wanted to work with organizations in the first place was uh, your manager has a greater effect on your ultimate health than your family doctor. Um, huh. Yeah. That's wild. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got a cheese. <laughs> I got to rethink some. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, AJ, as my manager, I really appreciate it. I was going to say, I, uh, <laughs> <a little more. laughs> um, no, but that, that's really interesting. And I think the one other thing that, that you mentioned that was really interesting, 11 weeks to recover from burn. That's, that's a, almost a quarter of the year. That's a super long time. Is that, um, yeah. where do those, like, I guess, how are they measuring that exactly? And like, what does it mean to recover from burnout? Yeah. So uh, there, there are a couple of amazing studies. I mean, again, largely like uh, Maslach, she's at Berkeley, um, pioneered a lot of this research. But uh, so what they're able to do is kind of continually measure how people are doing across those three areas, like exhaustion, cynicism, um, professional uh, efficacy. And so they're able to watch over time, like, you know, once you've hit that kind of point of burnout, it's kind of like a breaking point. So once you hit that, it's, it's a pretty precipitous drop in terms of performance, in terms of even just like your motivation, health. They're looking at a, quite a few different things. Um, and then they track those same three measures over time and they can start to see, okay, you know, even if things improve and like, you know, things are now perfect the day after you burn out, you still have 11 weeks to go. And, you know, that's not what usually happens, right? Like usually you're still in that kind of situation or things are still stressful and all of that. So, I mean, it, it's part of, again, like why we built Autumn is because for individuals, but also for companies, it is always, you know, like the, I mean, just generally good case to actually prevent it rather than address it once it's happened. The problem, of course, is, you know, it's hard to pick up on those early warning signs and, I won't show Autumn too much. (laughs) (laughs) I think you bring up a good point, right? Like if you can prevent it before it happens, thinking 11, like it's, that's a tangible number that a manager can look at and go like, okay, like if I work hard to prevent burnout from happening altogether, then I can essentially save myself those 11 weeks of ineffective performance, the cynicism, the fatigue, that someone who has to get back to a level of performance that I expect of them, that's time, resources, money wasted. Uh, Mm. I want to dive a little bit into, because like, I think ethereally, we understand now like what burnout looks like. What are, Mm. what are some of the major contributing factors for an individual contributor at an organization in your mind um, Mm. that lead to that point where they are feeling fatigue that they are feeling cynical about the job they feel like they aren't performing at a level that that they should be Mm. um kind of focusing a little bit more on the sales development side of things because obviously that's the audience of people listening to this (laughs) and i feel like there's a lot Mm. of well-documented reasons as to why sdrs in particular burn out compared to other roles Mm. within an organization yeah yeah so it's it's interesting because there there is quite a bit of research that that you know, has identified like those kind of common contributing factors. I think, um, you know, like going back to the model of like exhaustion, cynicism, professional advocacy, um, a lot of the research has shown that it, it usually it usually starts with exhaustion, which then leads to cynicism, which then leads to feeling like you, you know, aren't able to perform or can't do your job well and demotivated and all of that. Um, and so, I mean, oftentimes, you know, you get exhaustion when 
you know, you're in the tunnel, but there isn't a light at the end of it, or that's not clear to you. And so I think one of, you know, what some of the things that we've seen in a lot of the orgs we work with and like sales teams, SDRs, it's, you know, not feeling, you know, like you're doing well at your job. So like starting from professional inefficacy, not like getting recognition for when you're doing work well, like not having a clear sense of, okay, if we really push for this quarter, there's a break at the end, even if it's, you know, a small break, just having a sense of when you can expect that helps while you're in the middle of it. Um, and yeah, I think, I mean, the other thing is like a sense of fairness, right? So cynicism, a big part of it is like helping someone understand how the work they're doing is actually contributing meaningfully to everything else the org is going to do. And we work actually with a, like a, no, a lot of nonprofits, which is really interesting because most people are like, well, you know, people join nonprofits because, you know, they're mission oriented, they're, mm -hmm. um, you know, they know the impact they're having. But similar to, I think, with a lot of SDRs, it's really easy to lose sight of the, you know, the forest for the trees. Like, like you are in the middle of it. You don't see how that lead that you generated contributes to this conversation with an AE that contributes to this sale that moves the needle meaningfully for your organization and, and the thing that you're, you know, trying to accomplish more broadly. So I think like even just having that conversation we've seen goes so far, um, particularly when it's a root, something that happens routinely, right? It's like, hey, like, thank you for doing this. It contributed meaningfully to this goal and just giving someone that kind of clarity of cause and effect. Um, yeah, huge. No, that's really interesting, especially like Adrian and I coming from the marketing side where most of what I'd say that we do is really hard to trace back to its impact. Like MQLs mm. will come in, but we don't know like exactly what piece of content they read or like how mm. much time they spent on the website. Um, so yeah, having conversations like that, like that Adrian and I will have like, nice job, this MQL came in, this is what they downloaded, even something small like that. Um, mm. is definitely super impactful for like making sure that I know there's meaning in what we do. Mm. Yeah. Like, yeah, everyone, everyone wants to feel like, you know, they're, you know, they're a team player that they're contributing meaningfully. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's a huge protective factor against feeling burnt out. Um, you know, that's, that's how you get through the, you know, the stressful quarters. <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted to, to touch on uh, based on that, something you mentioned before, the light at the end of the tunnel idea. Um, I know for a lot of, of SDRs, this time of year tends to be really difficult for them because it seemed like there was some light at the end of the tunnel. Q1 is typically like a very difficult, fast-paced, very busy time for a lot of reps because they're coming off the holidays where things probably slowed down a little bit. And you have to make a big push to make up for some of that in Q1. And there's that light at the end of the tunnel in terms of like, well, yeah, the quarter's going to end and then you'll start Q2 and you'll be, you know, everything will be fine. But in reality, like you're starting with a fresh slate and it feels like a lot of the work that you did contribute maybe for the overall year and like mm. the the needle moving for a company, that direction is is trending upwards. But like you're starting at zero again. It's a new quarter. You've, you have a new goal that you have to hit. Uh, ideally, you've built up some pipeline or had some conversations in January and February that, that can matriculate up into April mm. and May, but that's not always the case. And I think a lot of people, I knew this happened to me. I got a little cynical about it where it's like, okay, I have to kind of start over again. After just making this huge push, the light at the end of the tunnel is just another tunnel. So I, I feel mm. like that kind of contributes 
in my own personal experience to a lot of what we're seeing in terms of the fatigue and the cynicism, um, maybe a little bit less on the inefficacy side of things, but like, even if you had a great month, you know that you have to just do it again and then again and then again until it's not your job anymore. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, and when this is where I think like there's, a, and I'm, I'm really curious from both of your perspective too on, on how like the role of the SDR is changing and, and mm-hmm. maybe we'll get to that later, but I think, you know, even just in some of the companies we've worked with, like there have been some interesting conversations about you know, letting people own the relationship a little bit past just generating that lead so that you, there, there's this sense of like, you get to kind of see it play out a little bit more. There's a sense of ownership and, you know, that contributes really meaningfully to it not feeling like things are just resetting from zero because you feel that sense of continuity with the relationships you build with the people you found and brought in. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, I think it's interesting because like there is, in a lot of industries, like we work with like, um, you know, lawyers and, and uh, legal firms and all of that. And there, there's a, I think a culture around like churn and burn, like, you know, up or out, like you're in, you know, you just got to put in the time before you move on to the next, uh, the next job or you get to do something else. But I mean, what I think is really compelling now is seeing the cost and seeing these measures of what burnout actually means to your business and how you know, when you let things go too far, when you, you know, are burning people out, like it's just not even a, you know, a, a smart, like fiscal decision, even if in the short term, you know, it, it feels like, okay, well, maybe we hit this number a little bit sooner, but it means you won't hit the next two, you know, 11 weeks, right. a long time. Yeah, we, we've done a ton of research. Alex actually wrote some pretty, pretty good content around like what, what it looks like when you you actually hire an SDR, like the cost associated with that. And a lot of people mm. tend to neglect the idea that if you are churning and burning reps out at a high pace, then you're continually having to pay for things like tax expenses. And I mean, mm. office space was part of it, but like not a thing anymore, but like stipends for at home um, right. computer setups and stuff like that stuff is a recurring expense that you always have for every rep that you always bring on forever. Mm. Like You'll never get rid of that. So when you continually burn people out and then churn, sure, you can think it's easy to just bring on another $45,000 salaried SDR, but you're not thinking about a bunch of the other little expenses that come with that, not to mention right. the ripple effect it has within your organization, not to mention mm. the fact that they then need to get trained by other senior SDRs and it pulls right. them away from their responsibilities. So like burnout, I think, has this insane ripple effect through the organization that a lot of people don't consider. And it affects more than just the individual person that is burning out. So combating it becomes super difficult, but preventing it becomes super important. So I'm curious to hear from you in terms of a prevention and combat com- combated level, um, <laughs> what what the best companies are doing or the best teams are doing that you've seen outside <laughs> of like maybe some of just the band-aids that you see where you get more paid yeah. time off or subscription to like, calm or, or, or whatever it might be things that you can do in the moment to like make someone feel good but don't actually on that full scale impact their burnout level yeah yeah no i so it's really interesting because i think like at the beginning of the pandemic you saw a lot of the kind of like okay like the band-aid issues like let's i think call them in the, Headspace subscriptions skyrocketed. Right. Shot right up. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's funny, actually, I 
think I'm able to share this. There, I, I knew someone who worked at Calm for a while and the average number of minutes that people actually used it through like their business to meditate each month was, was that I kid you not, literally near zero. It was like under a minute a month on average because most people would literally, like they have it, they don't mm. use it particularly when you're in the middle of like being stressed or burnt out, like the last thing you usually do is be like, oh yeah, there was this app somewhere <laughs> in the benefits that I'm going to go find and download and use. Um, so, anyway, so yeah, I, I, I feel particularly strongly about this because I think that like there are a lot of like easy band-aid solutions, but there are also a lot of like pretty easy, like true at the, you know, getting at the cause solutions, but they take a little bit more effort. So, I mean, for us, one of the biggest things was like, it has to be something that you measure because until you measure it, it, it's impossible to get a sense of like, are you actually addressing it? Because, you know, it's nuanced, right? Like for some teams, it might be an issue of exhaustion. For some, it might really be an issue of cynicism. And that's the most significant risk factor contributing to burnout. Knowing that first, helps you actually then make the decision of like, what is the tangible next step that I or the team lead can take to support these team members? Um, and so, and then you can also then see the benefit of the efforts that you put in, right? And I think like for making this something or any efforts that you're putting forward, like actually sustainable and making them something that aren't, isn't just, you know, a, okay, a pandemic hit, let's do something about this, but something that actually solves this problem longer term being able to, you know, have a KPI around it, like is super, super important. Um, so I think one of the first things is just measuring it because then you have an understanding of what the problem actually is, where it is, when it's actually getting to a point of being a significant risk for a team. And then you can figure out the next step. So some of the next steps we've actually seen really helping. One is like having conversations, particularly around like the impact that SDRs have. And so bringing like them into conversations down the line with the you know people that they might've prospected or the leads that they might've found. So they can kind of see where that actually led um, and then giving them credit on the other end, like when a deal closes, like having them be part of the success and get to share part of that. Um, that that's been huge we've seen across a number of teams for like helping people again understand that what they're doing really meaningfully contributes to basically the company existing and then yeah. everything else that <laughs> they're yeah. trying to do um some of the other things i think like and, and like i think it was uh gartner that did this like incredible work on this so they found like one of the most important measures was actually just having a conversation specifically about burnout. So talking, like having a team lead in their one-on-one, just sit down with an SDR and say, hey, like, how are you doing outside? Like, let's, let's, you know, we can talk about quota, we can talk about, you know, the metrics you need to hit, but like, first, like, how are you doing? Like, what's your bandwidth like? You know, are you feeling burnt out? Let's have that conversation. And usually like people can contribute pretty meaningfully to being like, hey, yeah, this is what I need. And sometimes it is a break, you know, and sometimes it's like, yeah, you know what, I want like a little bit more support on in this area or in doing this thing. Um, and there, there's this other like psychology theory that, <laughs> I mean, I could go deep on, but um, even just having that conversation usually sets up a pretty clear series of next steps that are really 
tangible that affect like how work gets done because ultimately burnout is something that happens in the context of work it's not you know something that happens outside of work and so a lot of the factors around how you do work ownership you know compensation all of those sort of things shape and influence burnout yeah, um, I think that's really interesting. I'm just thinking back to to my time as an SDR because I, I I did it for about three years, and at the end I was definitely burnt out. But um, one of the things that I think prevented that for a really long time is um, so we have you know various clients. Some will just like, hey, give us the lead. You don't need to join the call. Um, I was working with a particular client though that not only did they say like, okay, you set up the initial meeting, good job. Can you also set up the demo and can you jump on that? And they would also like do a pretty good job of communicating like, hey, here's how your pipeline is doing. This one's looking pretty good. Um, so a lot of that communication, even if it's not from your manager, if we're talking about the SDR role coming from, you know, the AE or the VP of sales, if they do a good job of relaying back down, you know, how the yeah. things you are doing, even if it's six months down the line. Um, I know that definitely, I probably wasn't thinking about it in this context, but it definitely helped prevent mm. an earlier burnout because yeah, three years is a long time to be an SDR and that. <laughs> you know, I only survived that long because I definitely felt like there was there was meaning in the work I was doing. And and mm. like honestly, I feel like your situation, Alex, like you had good relationships with the AE, the VP of sales, mm -hmm. like the people on your team. I feel like most SDRs, unfortunately, are in like combative situations with their team where they have to like fight tooth mm. and nail just to get any type of attribution their way, where it's like I pass a lead, I toss it over the fence, and I just hope that like it was good. Right. Mm. So that lack of communication, that lack of transparency and like constantly having friction between those two teams, I feel like normally SDRs are kind of prone to burnout. I think I read somewhere that like on average through some survey that they noted after 15 months that like most SDRs at that point said they felt burnt out. I feel like mm. if you have that friction, that like lack of transparency, that just gets accelerated beyond belief to the point where like six months in, you're like, am I doing anything like meaningful here? Does anyone care right. about who I am? Um, I know a lot of people, unfortunately, this was a, an event that we did a, a couple of years ago where a VP of sales said that he heard somebody refer to SDRs as ditch diggers, which is just like the most horrible thing to hear from someone who's in a leadership position at your company to be like, oh, that's how you think of me. Great. Like mm. that mentality and that like preconceived idea of what SDRs are to a business, I think contributes so heavily to like why they end up getting burnt out in the first place. Hmm. that's yeah wow <laughs> yeah that i mean that that really resonates because and one of the things that we've actually seen now uh with our tool and in the research is like you both mentioned like having that ability to like have a relationship with the ae with the vp of sales not just for attribution but also being able to know like you know am i contributing to something meaningful and it also means that you know you now see what some of those roles look like and you can start to maybe take on some of those responsibilities or do more of those things if the role is approached in a way that gives you some of that flexibility so that you know you're not already up training into this role where you'll have an even greater impact um, but there's this amazing research that looks at this concept that's really closely related to burnout called psychological safety and essentially it's just like is there sufficient trust on a team for people to bring up like, I don't know this, or I made this mistake, and here's what I learned, um, basically to, to have those conversations without fear of reprisal. So it's not like, 
know, that you're being coddled or it's super comfortable. Usually it's actually like the safety to have uncomfortable conversation. Um, mm -hmm. And it's super critical because like when you have that, you have like, you know, SFDA are actually talking about, yeah, you know what, I am feeling signs of burnout. Here are some of the things I like, I think would help me and support me in preventing that. But also Google did this incredible, like, I think more than a year long study for sales teams. And they found that for teams that had psychological safety, they were surpassing quota on, on average by 17%. Wow. And teams that weren't, that didn't have that were under um, quota on average by 19%. So there wow. was literally a 41% change in just like bottom line revenue generated between teams that like had that and teams that didn't. And they were able to, like they did a lot of really great research on showing that that was, that was actually causal. That like the ability to have those conversations meant people were addressing those issues, preventing burnout, like doing the things that help you prevent those adverse outcomes. Mm. And they were also learning about like what works, what doesn't. Hey, I tried this, it didn't work out. And all of that cumulatively like made a mammoth difference to the thing that a lot of companies ultimately you know, are interested in knowing at the end of the day, which is, you know, we hit quota and yeah. we surpassed it. That's That makes a lot of sense. I, I'll subtly plug the last two episodes of our podcast that we did because when asked for advice, um, Eric and Gautam, both the, the past two guests that we have, mentioned specifically that one of the biggest things you can do to help accelerate your career as an SDR is to ask questions. Mm. Doesn't matter who you're asking. Doesn't matter if you think that you're going to come out of the conversation, like you said, with egg on your face or that you get reprisal for it. Like it's the single most important thing yeah. that you can do to build up enough of a an idea of like where you want to go with your career how to be successful in this role learning what other people are doing that are already successful like asking questions mm -hmm. is is one of the most underutilized things that sdr specifically can mm -hmm. tap into to speed up onboarding training um speed to lead all of this stuff that that companies look for um can mm -hmm. be solved by just asking questions and nobody's doing not nobody but not enough yeah. people are doing it mostly because they do fear that they'll look like idiots basically and they yeah, don't they yeah. don't want that that reprisal from their manager so it's um cool to see that like there's a tie-in with with the burnout side of things because it's something that i think we've talked about so much on the show and then just in general alex in terms of like yeah we understand that you have to ask questions like, it's just like a given in the role but like to mm. us it's a given for sdrs outside of demand driver people we've never spoken to they're like afraid to do it and it right. contributes so heavily into this idea of burning out. Yeah, well, and, and it's also something that like, you know, it's something that a manager actually has control over, right? Like there are a lot of things that you just can't control, yeah. right? Like sometimes goals are unrealistic and they came from high up or sometimes like, like you know, there's a global pandemic or, or whatever it is. <laughs> like there, there are a lot of things that you can't control, but like that and creating like a team environment where like you can do that is one of the things that like as a team lead, you actually have total ownership over. And so you can, yeah, and this is why I think like, I mean, the data is so compelling because it's literally like, if you care about these things, which presumably you do because it's in the job description and you know most people you know leading a sales team do, then like there are some very clear, easy things that you can do. And it starts with literally just like having conversation being like, hey, like 
I want you to tell me when you don't know. I want you to ask me questions. Like doing those things moves the needle like meaningfully. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I'm curious, and I don't know if you have an answer for this, but do you think in a role like the SDR role that typically people don't stay in, they're looking to move up, do you think that if you're in it for long enough, burnout is inevitable? Or do you think there's ways to constantly be able to prevent it? Mm. I, I think it's inevitable if like, if the environment doesn't change or if the things that are like risk factors to burnout doesn't change. So like if, if it's always like, you know, there's this wild goal and it's gonna be, you know, pulling late nights and doing all of these things to get there every, you know, quarter, then it's probably at some point gonna happen. You know, like you mentioned, there are a lot of things you can do to prevent it, but you know, th that's where I'm curious about like how the role of SDRs are changing slightly because I think part of those changes are, are directly to address that, right? To give you a sense of like, let's, you know, that's part of your job description, but you also do those other things. And there's actually amazing research on this from like in the medical field where burnout is rampant, like physicians, nurses, I mean, particularly over the course of the pandemic, we've seen like it's been absolutely brutal. Mm -hmm. They found that um, in one study that if people had 20% of the work that they were doing that they like truly enjoyed and found like really meaningful, et cetera, they could deal with 80% being like super grindy, wow. not enjoyable, but it, it wasn't 50%. It wasn't 75. It was yeah, 20 a small slice. <laughs> it is not that much. And so I think like there is a really strong case for, you know, a role where people don't burn out at all and yet still, you know, has a lot of the hard work that being an SDR includes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that Trent, I think I see it at least a good amount of, of at least people that I talk to, or maybe I'm in an echo chamber, who knows, but like, mm -hmm. I hear a lot of the change associated with the role being that, that in that you, you have the opportunity to leverage some of the basic like SDR 101 skills that you've, you've built up into areas that you actually care about. Like if you're and this was the case for me. I loved as an SDR doing a ton of research, account mapping, like finding the right people to talk to, like really digging into like company hierarchies, looking through news articles, like really building a case for myself as to like why this person would talk to me or why this company would be a good fit. So I made that part of my role. Like I did training sessions and workshops for new SDRs on how to effectively research and map through organizations. It was a small part of my role, but I really enjoyed doing it. So it made the other 80% a lot more palatable. And I think a lot of companies are realizing that they have to, at, at this point, give SDRs the stuff that they want to do to then cope with the stuff that they have to do. And it means right. that the role is evolving to the point where we're getting past just pick up a phone and dial 100 people in a day, right? Like right. You're, you're actually able to and expected to think critically about the job, be a little bit more strategic and show some creativity. Um, maybe if that's not your thing and you want to focus more on the operations side, there's probably a lot of opportunities for you to pull your own reports in your CRM and, and actually mm. put together like a weekly recap of what you've done that your manager might do. Uh, giving these little responsibilities to SDRs, something that we've talked about on the show before um, and we think is super important and and does really help elevate the role past what maybe three or five years ago everyone looked at it as the the ditch right. digger that makes a hundred <laughs> dials a day and that's your only thing yeah yeah well and and you know like and there and there's such a like and it's not just something that like you should do it's like it is 
the thing that you need to do yeah, because like, it makes like sense. You have research and data to prove that not right. only your gut tells you this is the right thing to do, but like no science tells you that this is the right, <laughs> right. thing to do. Right. Um, there, there's one other thing I'll mention, and I mean, stop me if this is going to into the weeds, but um, there, there's this there's this theory in psychology called self-determination theory. It gets pretty jargony, but the, the whole premise is there are like three core needs that all humans have cross-culturally that, that if fulfilled are essentially mean you're in a state of like well-being, but it's also been used as a theory to really understand like high-performance athletes, like Olympians, uh, like people who are just exceptionally good at what they do. Um, and they found that like when you have those three kind of core needs fulfilled, that's when you really see like not just high well-being but like ultimate performance and i think it's like an actual useful framework for thinking about you know what are maybe some of the ways that we can influence or shift someone's role to to help them find those things that they actually enjoy doing to make you know a lot of it's hard work and that's that's part of the job but if you can have that 20 percent um that's really enjoyable and fulfilling then you don't have to be turning through people and so the the three ingredients are uh, autonomy, so giving people a sense of control or decision making, you know, like you mentioned, giving them a little bit more ownership over, you know, the life cycle of, of the lead or or wherever you think it can help. Uh, competence, so a sense of mastery or a sense that you can do your job well. So this is where recognition is huge. This is where you know making sure people have the right resources, all those things, makes a massive difference. And then telling them they're doing a good job when they do. And then relatedness, like helping them feel like they're actually part of a team, helping them feel like they actually belong to something and they're contributing meaningfully to that. And they have like, you know, a solid relationship, right? Like asking someone how they're doing rather than just, you know, let's talk about the numbers and then move on to the next call. Um, but like, it's, it's astounding how much research there is on it. Like those three things, like that's, that's it. Autonomy, you know, it's control, confidence, connection. That's it. Um, that's the secret recipe. <laughs> That's that's all you need to know. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, like we we did an exercise, and Alex, I'll let you touch on it because you kind of ran it. But on our, our core company values um, towards mm -hmm. the end of last year, and autonomy and c community for us, so relatedness, mm -hmm. were actually two of the core values that we determined were wow. sort of like what made demand drive demand drive. So it's mm -hmm. interesting that essentially two out of the three are, are basically the only things you really need to, <laughs> to succeed in the role not the only things but I, I it's interesting Alex I, I I'm curious like obviously we came to those as a team the decision of those sort of core values as a team but like do you think anyone knew about at least tangentially that that two of those things were like critically important just in general yeah it was interesting because it was because we we went through the exercise with senior leadership to come up with the values obviously mm. with an eye towards the SDRs and what sort of what they value. But mm. um, yeah, I don't think there was anything deliberate about like, oh, we picked this one and then, oh, look, this study like happens to align with it perfectly. I don't think it was anything okay. like that, but I think that's the nature of the business and that we've been, you know, doing this, this SDR stuff for so long. Um, mm. It was maybe more inherent in just how the business operates and we just hadn't named it and like given it a title until, we decided to like put our company values on paper basically. Mm. Well, that's pretty cool. I mean, the fact that, I mean, you, you essentially like intuited that because yeah. like you have this experience, you understand what that role looks like, what it needs. Like, yeah, yeah. I think it's because. And, and I'm sure some of it, are. yeah. Yeah, I'm sure some of it also, cause we see so many different, we have so many different right. clients and they all treat the SDR a little bit differently. 
And I'm sure that the the client success team notices when it's like, oh, you don't need to pass over that handover. And then those SDRs go find another job in six months versus like my example, where it was like, I was working with them for three years, which is a pretty long time to work with one client here, just mm. the nature of the business. And a lot of that is because they kept me involved. They gave me responsibilities and, and kept me engaged with what they were doing. So I think just doing that over and over again with all the different clients across all the teams, um, probably, yeah, ingrained it into the business without us really even noticing. Crazy. Awesome. Well, Quinn, it's been awesome having you on the show. I know I learned a thing or two, and I'm I'm betting that if you are an SDR manager and you were listening to this thing, you've learned a lot about how to prevent burnout on your team and really address it when it does happen. Um, what to think about for the future, and and even some studies to to um, kind of read through to to educate yourself. If I may ask of you, Quinn, to send those my way so I can include them in the show notes so that other people can, can take a look at it themselves, do some homework for you after listening to this episode. <laughs> um, but before we go, how can people learn more about you, learn more about Autumn, uh, what you guys are doing, and, and maybe get some extra resources on, on burnout prevention at their organizations? Yeah, hundred percent. So we, you know, I think the best, best way is, you know, you can either reach out to me directly, uh, Quinn at getautumn.com. You know, I'm always happy to talk with people about this subject, always happy to share kind of what we've learned. And I, you know, I feel like there's so much information out there. The problem is it's never really been made accessible or like widely available in a way that isn't super jargon heavy. Mm -hmm. um, so always happy to share there. And then, you know, our website, getautumn.com, you know, autumn like the season, um, you know, people can try the tool out for themselves. They can, you know, demo chat with me. Um, yeah. We're, we're on a mission to, to make burnout preventable. So it's possible, you know, just got to measure it. <laughs> I love it. It's possible. Awesome. Well, thanks again for, for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Um, remember to subscribe, to unsubscribe, to get more content like this in your inbox. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for watching this episode of Unsubscribe, the Demand Drive podcast. If you want less of those nasty unsubscribe emails in your inbox, go ahead and check out some of the content we have to the left and make sure that you subscribe to unsubscribe to keep your SDR team in tip top shape.